Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. I want to talk about over at HartmanReport.com. It's titled, How America Became Unraveled. I'm basically responding to an op-ed that David Brooks put in the New York Times a couple days ago. And, you know, I'm pointing out how the morbidly rich have taken over our politics. Nobody trusts anybody. Violence is up. Gun sales have exploded. And our nation experienced its first armed assault from traitors within since the Civil War. We'll get to that in a moment. And also a... Uh, National Progressive Town Hall meeting with the vice chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, Congressman Ro Khanna. And a crazy alert, robotic vacuum takes off. What happened next? But to begin, How America is Becoming Unraveled is the title of my piece over at HartmanReport.com. And I start out with David Brooks. He has a column titled, America is Falling Apart at the Seams. Uh, David Brooks has been a, you know, a relatively conservative columnist for, geez, decades I've been reading his stuff. And, you know, occasionally he writes something that I think, you know, well, that's really thoughtful. You know, sometimes he's just, you know, shilling for the Republicans, but whatever. But he's quoting actually from Matt Iglesias's uh, Substack newsletter, Slow Boring, where Iglesias is pointing out that you're seeing now more killings in America, more murders, which is a subset of the increase in shootings, which in turn is a subset of the large increase in gun carrying. But traffic deaths are also up. Unruly passenger incidents on airplanes have surged. Schools are reporting more discipline and student safety issues. He says basically the murders seem like the tip of an iceberg of bad behavior. And Brooks, David Brooks, uh, says, uh, as a columnist, I'm supposed to have some answers, but I just don't right now. I just know the situation is dire, which is how he wrapped up his piece in the New York Times. And so, you know, I, I read that and thought, this is not a mystery, what happened here. And, you know, let me just lay it out for you. I, you know, what we are seeing, uh, by the way, progressives have been warning about this, this concentrated right-wing power, uh, racism, the wealth, and corporate power. Uh, progressives have been warning about this since 1901 when Teddy Roosevelt became president after, you know, uh, McKinley was assassinated. So here's a, here's a quick kind of bullet point summary of how we got from where we were to where we are and why everything is coming unraveled. Prior to World War II, there were two Americas. There was one for white people and one for everybody else, and they were strictly separated by a Supreme Court decision in 1896, plus E.V. Ferguson. Then Harry Truman, on July 26, 1948, 
issued an executive order, Executive Order 9981, which integrated the military. And then the, a couple of years later, Dwight Eisenhower put Republican Earl Warren on the, on the Supreme Court. In fact, he made him Chief Justice, from nothing to Chief Justice. In fact, Earl Warren ran against Eisenhower in the 1952 election for president. But anyhow, he, he put him on the Supreme Court in October of 53, and the next year, Warren organized a unanimous decision to overturn Plessy versus Ferguson uh, in, in Brown v. Board, saying that schools can no longer be segregated. And that ruling, I think if you're looking at a, at a beginning point when a bunch of cynical politicians and right-wing crazies really jumped into things, that ruling was it. This produced this right-wing political explosion and what they referred to as a massive resistance campaign where schools, entire counties, entire, you know, large chunks of states shut down their public schools rather than integrate them racially. And then all-white churches stepped into the breach, and those all-white churches started organizing all-white private schools, which then became a source of money and political power for this racist white evangelical movement led by people like Jerry Falwell, who back in 1958 said, and I quote, the true Negro does not want integration. He realizes his potential is far better among his own race. It will destroy our race eventually. And, and then goes on to tell the story about, oh my God, there's a neighbor who, who is, has a mixed race couple. This Brown v. Board ruling in 54 also put the John Birch Society on steroids as wealthy right-wingers like Fred Koch helped fund impeach Earl Warren billboards and advertisements all across the nation. In the U.S. Senate, uh, George's Richard Russell, who I wrote about yesterday, Senator Russell, organized a Southern Manifesto signed by 19 senators and 77 House members saying, quote, this unwarranted exercise of power by the court is destroying the amicable relations between the white and Negro races and has planted hatred and suspicion where there has heretofore been friendship and understanding. Right. Everything was so wonderful before Brown v. Board, right? Enough Americans were horrified by this naked racism that Jerry Falwell and, and Richard Russell and Fred Koch and all these other guys were just, you know, openly expressing. That on June 11, 1963, President John F. Kennedy proposed civil rights and voting rights legislation. Now, he was assassinated five, five or six months later in, in uh, November of 63. But after he was murdered, President Lyndon Johnson said, we have to pass this to carry on John Kennedy's le legacy. And those two laws were passed in 1964, Civil Rights Act, 1965, Voting Rights Act, over the strong objections of so-called conservatives in both parties. Nixon then becomes president in 68 after committing treason by cutting a deal with corrupt officials in South Vietnam to blow up the peace deal that LBJ had negotiated. Uh, he also, in order to get enough votes to win, created this thing called the Southern Strategy, which was the Republican Party now openly reaching out to Southern Democrats who were white racists. Then Nixon put Lewis Powell in 1972 on the Supreme Court and thus began the hard right tilt of the Supreme Court. Lewis Powell, the guy who wrote the Powell memo about how to overthrow a government. And they started striking down union rights, uh, struck down hundreds of state and federal good government laws so that they could legalize political bribery, which they did in 1976 with the Buckley versus Vallejo decision when billionaires owned politicians. Before that, it was called bribery. And after that, it was called free speech. 
And then two years later, Powell himself authored his, a decision, First National Bank versus Bilotti, saying that corporations have that right, too, to own politicians. And then, you know, by 1980, the libertarian movement had largely eaten the Republican Party alive. This was, uh, you know, they were all embracing Ayn Rand's gospel of selfishness. They turned it into a political creed. You recall Paul Ryan required everybody on his staff to read Atlas Shrugged. Uh, that year, Ronald Reagan's campaign followed Nixon's, this is 1980, followed Nixon's treasonous example of cutting deals with foreign countries to destroy Democratic presidents. He cut a deal with the Iranians to hold the U.S. hostages until after he'd beaten Jimmy Carter in the election. The Iranians released the hostages literally to the minute as Reagan put his hand on the Bible. A flood of big money then flowed into the Reagan White House, and in return, St. Ronnie cut his benefactor's top tax rate from 74% down to 25% tripling the national debt and exploding inequality in this country. Reagan then began a propaganda campaign to convince Americans that our government is not the solution to our problems, it is the problem. American government is evil. And thus Americans began to lose faith in Americanism. And this is when the slide to today's crisis that David Brooks writes about really began in earnest. In the 80s, we got Limbaugh and the whole right-wing talk radio thing. They came of age with a modernized 1980s version of Nixon's 1960s Southern strategy. Uh, with things like, uh, you know, brown people are going to take your job. The Hillary Clinton nutcracker and affirmative action rants and reparations rants and critical race theory rants. All this stuff basically to crank up the right, the, the white racist base. Of, the, of what now was the Republican Party, it used to be the base of the Democratic Party in the South anyway, pre-65. Then in, in, in the, also in the 1980s, scientists began warning about the dangers of climate change. And so Republicans and the Limbaugh crowd and their fossil fuel billionaire funders launched a campaign asserting that scientists are just hustlers. They're on the take. You can't trust them. Science is the enemy. And suddenly it got real expensive to go to college. Remember that in the 80s? And student debt got exploded and, and Reagan used to talk about college educated pointy headed liberals and elite professors. Unions collapsed throughout the 80s and 90s. And so Bill Clinton and Al Fromm created the DLC to build a financial arm between clean industries like banking, insurance and pharma with new Democrat politicians. And then, you know, he took the, the free trade deals, NAFTA and the WTO, that Reagan had negotiated and signed them. And bang, off go our jobs. 60,000 factories have now moved overseas since that happened. And then, you know, the NRA said, hey, let's, or the weapons industry said, let's get in on this. And they started pouring money into the National Rifle Association. And suddenly we've got... And, and bringing gun rights cases before the Supreme Court, and now we've got more guns than people in the United States. We're the only country in the world with that problem, developed country. George W. Bush continues the deregulation and the, and the tax cut scam and begins privatizing Medicare. It's about half done now with the so-called Medicare Advantage scam. Then we elected a black man president, and the right wing went nuts when Barack Obama became president in 2008, which led us right to the, the right wing Tea Party and the birther movement, which was being led by Donald Trump back in 2008. And right wing media exploded in both popularity and profits. I'll pick up the rant on the other side of the break. This is.
you know, a, a, a quick history of, of America's decline. Stick around. This is the Tom Hartman Program. I, I think it's just incredible that so few people really ever, I mean, I just did this out of my, out of memory yesterday. So few people are really familiar with this history. Let's see here. Dave in Federal Way, Washington. Hey, Dave, what's on your mind today? Hey, not too much, Tom. Look, as far as this unraveling of America goes, I've been thinking a lot about it recently. And with the arrest of Stuart Rhodes and his, you know, he sent out some tweet about the, the, the virtue of Slobodan Milosevic, who is a convicted war criminal. But anyways, I, I was thinking, um, look, fundamentally, there's not a whole lot of difference between, in, philosophically, between Stuart Rhodes and Neil Gorsuch. Um, the call screener said, look, I don't know either one of them. Uh, I, and, and frankly, that's brilliant. I don't know either one of them either. But philosophically, there's not a whole lot of difference, Tom. And really, frankly, you put me on this, this idea of toxic masculinity, which I think is, is, is very profound and huge. But we haven't got time, time to really discuss that. All I wanted to say is I think that's the difference between the, the Neil Gorsuch and Stuart Rhodes. Stuart Rhodes is a victim, you might say, of toxic masculinity. He, he sees violence mm-hmm. as, as a, a political tool, as a solution, whereas Neil Gorsuch may be a little bit reticent. He may hesitate a little bit on the violence t- topic. Yeah, he's a little, he's a little more of an academic, but I, I, I'm with you, Dave. I'm absolutely with you, and I think you said it very well, and thanks for doing it so tightly. That's, that was brilliant. Mm-hmm. Eugene in Los Angeles. Hey, Eugene, what's up? Thank you for taking my call, Tom. Tom, um, I do not believe that it takes a full Senate vote to uh, nuke a filibuster. I believe all it takes is one senator and the Senate chair. And the reason I say that is because ordinarily all it takes is for the Senate majority leader will raise a point of order. He says to the Senate chair, I believe that Rule 22 under Rule 22, all, uh, let's say, voting rights uh, bills uh, have, to, have to be voted on by simple majority vote, which is a lie. Rule 22 says by three-fifths uh, majority vote. Right. Rule 22 but is then, the filibuster, basically. But then the Senate chair, ordinarily what happens is the Senate chair over uh, rules against says no that uh, point that of order is not sustained the vp would right. would say the point of order is not sustained because rule 22 says what i just said it says right. but the only reason why ordinarily the political party that nukes the filibuster goes about it by simple majority vote is they don't want the political party the opposing political parties to be able to say, hey, they nuked the filibuster with just the Senate, a senator and the Senate chair instead of with the full Senate. I I disagree, Eugene. I think that what you're looking at is either if you wanted to do it the way that you're suggesting, it would have to go through the parliamentarian and it will die there. But, you know, alternatively, what they're going to have to do is change Rule 22. They're going to have to change the Senate rules. That takes a majority vote. What would happen if the Senate chair just sustained the lie that the senator said about Rule 22? I I don't think anybody would acknowledge it. 
I, I doubt. I, I, in fact, I think at that point you would probably lose more than just Mansion and Cinema on the Democratic side. It would be kind of a slick attempt. But I don't think it's going to work. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So to finish my rant, so, so far, basically, what I have pointed out is that the roots of today's right-wing movement really got underway. Now, obviously, there's other roots to this movement that we can find, but I would say it really got underway when Southern conservative white racists decided to use the, the awakening of, Ameri of white America to the, to the profound evil of segregation to their advantage. So anyhow, then, then uh, so we're up to Trump, you know, making uh, America elects a black man, right? Uh, Barack Obama is president. Uh, this produces this Astro Tea Party, Astro Tea Party movement and the birther movement led by Donald Trump, who is running around saying that Obama was a secret Kenyan Muslim socialist. Oh, my God, you know, what's a black man doing in the White House? I mean, that was the, the rant. And right-wing media just went with it and really exploded. Trump takes his racist campaign national with billions in free media from the press. Keep in mind, this was 2008. And so in 2016, we get Trump as president. Campaign funds to politicians became a rushing torrent. The GOP dropped the pretense of putting voters first so completely that they didn't even bother to put up a party platform in 2020. Yeah, but Democrats have been moving away from Clinton's DLC cash for legislation philosophy, but you know a few hung on, like Cinema and Mansion. And now much of America is dominated by the worldview of factions of billionaire Betsy DeVos's Calvin, neo-Calvinism, which says that, you know, rich people are rich because God wants them that way. And therefore, they should run the country. And Republican presidents elected by treason, Nixon and Reagan, fraud, Bush Jr., and with the help of foreign nations, Trump, have so stacked the Supreme Court with hardcore right-wingers, Ginny Thomas, helping with January 6th, 
And uh, Neil Gorsuch refusing to wear a mask, even though Sotomayor is immune compromised. That laws benefiting average people or public health are in deep and continued trouble. So here we are. The morbidly rich have taken over our politics and our courts. Nobody trusts anybody. Violence is up. Gun sales have exploded. And our nation experienced its first armed assault from traitors within since the Civil War. And the bottom line, the wealthy white billionaires behind so much of this, they don't care about democracy. They openly disdain it. They want oligarchy in the United States. As Stephen Moore, Trump's economic advisor, told me on the air on this program when I said, which is more important, democracy or capitalism? And he said, capitalism, of course. Right. Tell that to the citizens of Hong Kong. Here we are. You'd think that by now the right wing, the conservative columnists would have You're figured it out. You're listening to the Tom Hartman program. Oh, <laughs> welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. Congressman Ro Khanna is on the line with us for a National Progressive Town Hall meeting. Uh, Congressman Khanna represents the 17th District of California in the U.S. House of Representatives. He's vice chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. And uh, you can find his website at Khanna, K-H-A-N-N-A.house.gov. You can tweet him at Rep. Ro Khanna. Congressman, welcome back to the program. What's, what's at the top of your agenda in front of your mind right now? Well, we have to make progress on two areas. One is voting rights, and the other is the Build Back Better. On voting rights, there is now a push to see if we can get 60 senators, not just on the Electoral Count Act, as you had discussed and feared that that may preclude any further reform, but if we can get uh, some agreement on the most basic uh, voting right provisions, don't kick people off the rolls, don't have less ballot boxes in uh, African-American areas. So that effort is underway. Uh, I have been speaking to several folks on the Senate on the Build Back Better. The reality is, look, we're not going to get what we passed in the House. We're not even going to get the president's framework. But if we can get robust climate uh, and then have universal preschool and one or two other things, uh, my view is uh, we have to really uh, do that. Uh, or if, depending on how 2022 goes, we may never have another opportunity on climate. And so centering climate in the negotiations has been uh, at top of the agenda. So this is, uh, the, is the strategy here, basically break out, build back better into smaller pieces and try to push them through one at a time and see if you can get some Republicans in the Senate or, or will there be multiple bites at the apple with regard to reconciliation? I, I recall something about the possibility of that a few weeks ago and I never, never saw it followed up on. So the, there, on the one hand, we would want to break up the parts that can't pass uh, to have votes, at least get people on the record on are you really opposed to Senator Sanders' uh, proposal to give people vision and hearing and, uh, and dental care. By the way, that's the most popular thing in the entire bill, which, of course, we're not doing. It makes no sense. But then there are parts that can pass on reconciliation, climate, the expansion of Medicaid, kids three and four getting preschool education. That, I think, we can come together and maybe call something else, but a new, new bill that, that passes. Now, that's not a guarantee, but uh, I'm working hard to try to see if we can do that with a few other progressives and senators. Uh, it's the best shot we have at climate. If not, we're going to get nothing. Yeah, yeah, remarkable. Okay, well, let's uh, pick up some phone calls. Sounds great. Okay, let's do it. Rennie in Reno, Nevada, you are on the air with Representative Kana. Hi, good morning. I wanted morning, to know Rennie. if Trump, hi, and, and I'm your neighbor, both your neighbors here in Nevada. I want to know if Trump or anybody that's protected by Secret Service has to go into imprisonment 
what happens to Secret Service? Do we pay for it? Do they get it? Good question. Right, that's a great question. I I have no idea. Uh, I I assume they would still protect the president, but that's a it's a great point. It's never happened. Tom, do you have any idea what I, would happen? I don't. I have no idea. I don't know if any members of Congress, they don't have Secret Service protection. I, I just don't know. I don't know. Uh, let's move along. Nancy in Woodland, California, you're on the air with Representative Connor. Yeah, I just wanted to find out, what's the status on firing DeJoy? I mean, he has, you know, financial conflict of interest. It seems like he should have been gone a long time ago. Thank you. Nancy, I couldn't agree with you more. And by the way, uh, people have noticed some of the delays in uh, the mail. At least I have noticed it in, in, in my own town. I mean, the mail used to be extraordinary. It used to be something I found more reliable than FedEx or UPS. And uh, since DeJoy has come, she's just run havoc with it. And it's not rocket science. If you have less people working and you close facilities, obviously you can delay service. So he should have been fired a long time ago. The president doesn't have the authority. He can change the board that does have the authority to fire him, my understanding is that the board now is changed and so let's see what happens in the next few weeks yeah okay uh jeremiah in coalport pennsylvania hey jeremiah you're on the air with representative Kana. hey congressman you're in silicon valley so i wonder what your opinion is on microsoft's uh, acquisition of activision blizzard which is a 70 billion dollar deal um and prior to this they just acquired zenimax an eight billion dollar deal I think this is going to ruin the gaming industry, but um, even if you don't have an opinion on that, maybe you can you know, talk to, um, speak to mergers and acquisitions in general. And is there anything that can be done to stop it? Yes, uh, I am for Senator Klobuchar's bill, which says that when we have these multi-billion dollar acquisitions or mergers, the presumption should be that they're anti-competitive and they have, that has to be overcome with the company showing why it benefits consumers. Right now, the presumption is not against the company, and that makes it very hard for regulators to, to prove their antitrust case. If we were to change that presumption, which Senator Klobuchar has a bill, I support it, uh, it would help prevent uh, these type of mergers. Joe in Cupertino, California, you are on the air with Congressman Khanna. Well, excuse me, sir, but I would just like to shout out for the 49ers here as well. It's in our area. And if you could just reach out maybe over to Mrs. Waters, Maxine Waters, as they got the form, and maybe you guys could have a little come together. I don't know if I'd wager is appropriate because we're on the same team, but how about getting together with Gavin Newsom and maybe trying to promote health care for all in California? I think this is the time. We've lost the ability to have equal or the vote. But if we had health care as a right in America, I think we could get both parties to come to agreement and win 22 and 24. That being said, you know, I appreciate all that you do, but I do not want to see the United States go to war in Russia. And I don't want to wait till after the Olympics. This is a game. The Chinese are reaching out to the Russians and saying, well, can you hold off from invading Ukraine until the Olympics are over? We need to stop going to war. And I think there's probably, next to health care, the most important thing is to not be invade another country or bring the United States out of war and then put them into another war. What do you think, sir? I agree with you. I, I think the president agrees with you. I mean, that's why the president said 
sent Blinken has said he wants to exhaust diplomacy, uh, has put financial sanctions on the table because we can't just have uh, aggression not be met with consequence. But he understands that we don't want to put, push Russia into China's arms, and he understands that uh, we're never going to be able to succeed in a ground war or any war in Ukraine, which is so close to Russia's borders and far from ours. So he is prioritizing diplomacy and a diplomatic solution, and uh, certainly I think that that's the right appro- approach. Ziggy in uh, Oneonta, New York. You are on the air with Oneonta, Congressman Tom. Tom Oneonta. Oneonta. Yes. Okay. Good morning. Got it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Congressman, I would like to know why is Congress allowing my health care provider to take me off my original Medicare without my permission? I received an email from Bassett Healthcare saying that they are taking me off my original e- uh, Medicare and putting me into their accountable care organization called an ACO. And that I'm volunteering for this, though I never volunteered. And if I don't want to be taken off of original Medicare, I need to contact Medicare and tell them I do not want to leave Medicare. And the unfortunate fact is I imagine there's a lot of people on Medicare in this area with Bassett who've got the letter also, the email, and probably haven't even looked at it, aren't aware they're being taken off of Medicare. And, and Trump gutted, by the way, the, the uh, staffing of these agencies, Medicare and Social Security. So good luck even getting through to Medicare to tell them that you don't want to be taken off, Ziggy. Thank you. Congressman? Ziggy, that, that is outrageous. I mean, you're basically having something happen without your consent, without your involvement. I, I would contact your member of Congress so they can write on your behalf. Uh, but I appreciate your raising this. I mean, this is a constant uh, theme in, uh, on this program of uh, Medicare Advantage and some of these private companies uh, taking advantage of uh, programs, people left with insurance that's not nearly as good. Uh, you're very diligent. Many others don't even know uh, sometimes that they get switched. Uh, so we need to look at this and see what we can do legislatively to protect the rights of people like, like yourself. Uh, and so you don't lose your insurance without even being uh, informed about it. Congressman, these are called direct contracting entities. It's an experiment that was initiated uh, early in the Trump administration. Um, uh, I, I'm not sure exactly when it was authorized. Um, there are a few hundred of them around the country. And basically, they, they sign up your doctor's office or your hospital, uh, cuts a deal with a Medicare Advantage provider, and uh, they take you know, say, say it's a, a, doctor's, a doctor's practice with a thousand patients, they just dump all thousand patients onto Medicare Advantage and then the practice gets a kickback from the Medicare Advantage company because Medicare Advantage is so insanely profitable because of the way that they scam Medicare. And, and it's, you have to opt out. You have to intentionally, you have to track wow. down Medicare. You can't even talk to the direct contacting entity, these DCEs. You have to track down somebody at Medicare and beg them to get you back on Medicare. And uh, for some people, you know, they just can't wait on the phone for, for five or six hours. You know, it's, it, it's just, it, yeah. it's crazy. Uh, so make a note, DCEs, this, I mean, I, this is a big deal. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any legislation that I can think of on this, but maybe there, there really should I be. There too. Is. I, I believe there is. I, I, I may be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that, that there is. And, and uh, so I'd, I'd encourage your, you to check with your staff. Uh, well, well, we should support that legislation. Then. Yeah. I'll look, look into this. Yeah, please, please do. Louise in Seattle, you're on the air with Representative Kana. Yes, well, Representative Conn, I want to stick with the uh, foreign policy of this country and bring up the issue of U.S. 
military support of Saudi Arabia in its war against Yemen. And uh, we see the results of that with the bombing of civilians last week, where some 90 people died, and also the Saudi blockade of air and seaports that keeps food and medicine from coming in for the people of, of Yemen. And so my question is, what is your position on invoking the 1973 War Powers Resolution to end this U.S. complicity in this crisis? Well, I'm open to it. As you may know, I've been working on this since I first got to Congress, and it's so sad that it's been five years and the war continues. But Senator Sanders and I had passed the War Powers Resolution, first time in the history, on this to stop the refueling of Saudi planes. President Biden came in and, uh, and honored that and, and did not, even though the President Trump had vetoed it. Uh, and we're not refueling them, but we're still giving them spare parts, and we have a lot more leverage. And I just actually reached out to Senator Sanders to see if we want to reintroduce another War Powers Resolution. We do need uh, strong action. Do you think the Saudis are keeping the oil price high as a way to squeeze us on this? I'm not sure. They're certainly not helping us. But, but, you know, we're not that dependent on Saudi oil anymore. And it's certainly not uh, worth uh, the, the blood uh, of Yemeni's children. I mean, yeah. it's awful. Yeah, I'm with you. We'll be right back. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Wendy, in, uh, is it Patascala, Ohio? Am I saying that right, Wendy? Patascala. Patascala. Okay, you're on the air with Representative Akana. <laughs> Hi. This is about Afghanistan. I was watching a report from Sky News on MSNBC earlier in the morning yesterday, and it was so heartbreaking about the fact that not enough humanitarian aid seems to be getting to those people. I get the Taliban is a big issue, but what, what can you tell me about, like, what type of humanitarian aid are we able to get there? Are we getting, are we able to? Thank you. We are able to get uh, humanitarian aid there where we've called on that, uh, given all of the uh, starvation, given the uh, extreme conditions. Uh, the Progressive Caucus has called uh, for not uh, freezing assets that uh, would hurt children, that would uh, hurt 
uh, getting food there. Uh, this is a decision that the administration has, but I, uh, I know the progressives, including myself, were putting a lot of uh, pressure to make sure that whatever we're doing doesn't hurt uh, kids. Carol in Vernon, New Jersey, you're on the air with Representative Connor. Yes, hello. My question is regarding the Border Patrol. Uh, it is my understanding that they've contributed $5 million to sponsor the Professional Bull Riders Association. If you look at the bull riders, the radio, uh, rodeo clowns wear vests from the Border Patrol with their ads on the back. How is it allowed that my tax dollars go to, or, and I don't really care, professional bull riders, the NFL or whatever, but why is that allowed that tax dollars are used in that aspect? Where are they sponsoring this rodeo? It's a, the city government? or I'm sorry, I, I, I just dropped Carol. Uh, yeah, well, if, so. if, it was the, if it was the Border Patrol paying for it, that's uh, yeah. presumably federal. It's under DHS. Well, right? we, we should look into it. I mean, it seems like that, that should not be a use of federal funds. I mean, it's not for entertainment uh, or, you know, sponsoring, whether it's a rodeo or a football game. So it seems like that's a misuse of funds on first glance. But if you contact your member of Congress, it, it, we should look into that. Paul in Spooner, Wisconsin. You're on the air with Representative Connor. Good afternoon. Nice. Thank you for having me today. I'm one of the unlucky ones where I have Congressman Tiffany representing me as well as is uh, Johnson, Ron Johnson. Uh, it's atrocious up here. But the question is, uh, Tiffany signed on for this false certificates for the election. Um, as an elected official, what is the recourse and what's going to happen with these people that forge documents and send it in trying to take away my vote? Well, if they've done something illegal, obviously they can be impeached, they can be prosecuted, and they should be held accountable. But we need to make it clear through mobilization also that that is absolutely unacceptable, unexcusable to take uh, people's right to vote away uh, and that they will suffer an electoral consequence. And that only happens if we organize and if uh, we inform people of how bad it is what they're, what they're doing. Congressman, we just have 45 seconds. Um, what is your sense of where voting rights is going to go now legislatively? I think uh, they will pass, hopefully, the Electoral Count Act, which is to say if Donald Trump gets 48 percent of the vote in Arizona, you can't have the state legislature still declare him the winner and right. have him get the slate. But I'm I don't know what's going to happen with the other basic provisions of getting enough ballot boxes in communities of color or making sure that people can register on the same day, that they aren't going to be thrown off the rolls, all the other important reforms. I think that is a, a uphill battle where we're trying, but whether we can get 60 votes for those is difficult. Yeah, they just found, they just did an analysis of the 2021 election, and they found that yeah. Georgia voters were 45 times more likely to have mail-in ballot uh, applications uh, rejected. That would have been 38,000 wow. votes in a state that Trump lost by 11,000 votes. It's amazing. Eric in Erie, Pennsylvania, you're on the air with Representative Connor. Hey, good morning and afternoon, gentlemen. Um, Rep. Brow, I've got a question concerning the, uh, the balance sheet of this uh, medical cost of... COVID hospitalizations, what could we do to move people off of the public dole payments for, you know, million-dollar hospital bills if they themselves have uh, volunteered to be vulnerable? Could we maybe have the vaccination card be your opt-in for 
whatever Medicare, Medicaid, disability, and so forth, um, as, as well as public workers, uh, if they refuse to vaccinate, shouldn't we, the taxpayers, be able to refuse to pay for their medical costs and death benefits to their spouses and children if they choose to recklessly go into a hazardous environment and they end up sick or dead? Well, I don't agree with that. I, I think we have to do things that encourage vaccination. But if people make choices that are uh, not responsible, we still owe them uh, care. I mean, we, if someone were to smoke a lot and be misled by the tobacco industry, uh, we still would uh, provide them care. And here you have people being misled by misinformation, systematic misinformation coming from media sources on the vaccine. So uh, it's hard to hold them fully accountable. But regardless, I don't think you uh, hold a person's health care hostage to their vaccination status. It kind of raises a question we, we did as a as a just basically a talk radio topic last week. Uh, you know, are, are anti-vaxxers uh, broadly, you know, villains or victims? And, and uh, obviously there's a little bit of both, but it's a really tough existential question. Jeff in Portland, Oregon, you're on the air with Representative Connick. Thanks, as always, for the town hall. Regarding Build Back Better, Congressman, you know, I haven't heard anybody in the corporate media saying that progressives were right not to about not giving up leverage and the importance of keeping BBB coupled with the uh, bipartisan infrastructure bill. Having said that, if there was indeed a package that Manchin uh, previously agreed to, uh, I don't know why we wouldn't put that up for a vote and start from there. But my question, Congressman Khanna, you know, a new war is the last thing America or the world needs. We need to focus on ending the pandemic and maintaining and mitigating the uh, climate crisis. So, Congressman, are you for or against this military aid package to, to the Ukraine? And isn't the best way for America to promote democracy? And Tom had a great uh, Hartman report about democracy versus author the struggle between that and authoritarianism uh, worldwide. Isn't the best way to promote democracy worldwide for us to be seen as, a, as champions of diplomacy and humanitarian aid, including uh, vaccine uh, distribution worldwide. Thank you, Congressman. Well, I agree with a lot of what you said about restraint, about diplomacy. I've always uh, pushed for that. And uh, we have to, in my view, be very careful before sending aid, particularly lethal aid to Ukraine, which could be unnecessarily provocative and make the situation even more volatile. I'd rather that we first exhaust all uh, diplomatic options. And that is not to have some moral ambiguity. I think what, Russia, what Putin did is wrong. It's morally wrong. It has no justification. You can't just bully other countries and invade. Uh, so, so we do have to uh, have financial sanctions and other options on the table. Uh, but I agree with your instinct that we can't get drawn out into a war in Ukraine. Uh, I think this president understands that. Jenny in Cleo, Michigan. Jenny, you are on the air with Representative Connor. Hi, Tom. Hi, Representative Connor. I'm just concerned because I'm getting calls from something called SBC Campaign in Texas, which is a Republican-based, like a whole organized thing, trying to hire me as a poll watcher to get the radical Democrats out. I'm a lifelong Democrat. Those are the way of my life. I mean, it concerns me a lot because they're very, very organized. Very. So if you have any information, or you guys can say what you're going to do to combat this, to hire people to the Democratic Party, that would be great. Thank you. Well, thank you, Jen. I, I agree with you. It's a huge concern. We need to mobilize people in the Democratic Party to watch the polls to help support election workers. But the main thing we need uh, is to make sure that 
uh, we passed this legislation to protect local election officials, to protect the local election process, so it's not manipulated by Republicans. And Tom made a very good point earlier in the program. It's not just racial. They're trying to disenfranchise any place where they have Democrats or voters who don't think and vote like them. Dawn in St. Clair, Michigan, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. Hi, I was just wondering, I um, watched a video where um, they were talking about protecting the electric grid, where it would cost 2 to $4 billion, and I just thought that would be a wise investment. I just wonder what your thoughts were on that. Absolutely. I think an electric grid is a, a wise investment, and probably nationally would cost a little bit more than uh, 2 to $4 billion, but it's part of is robust climate provisions, and that's why we have to get it through. Look, $500 billion that, that has been allocated for climate and Build Back Better would be transformational on energy efficiency, on the transfer, transfer of renewable energy, on the production of renewable energy. And it turns out Senator Manchin is fine with, with this, these provisions. Uh, we've got to get at least that done. Norbert in El Paso, Texas, you are on the air with Representative Rokana. Question, two-part question, actually. I travel through Texas, and I'd like to know the percentage ratio from helping the Afghani refugees versus helping the South American refugees. Uh, I was in Amarillo in a hotel where 80% of that hotel was actually 80% uh, 80, 80 was uh, Afghani refugees. I don't know if uh, El Paso has any South American, but I do know Fort Bliss does have Afghani refugees. I'd like to know what's the difference between helping one or the other. Thank you, Norbert. Well, I think the Afghani refugees or the Afghani uh, people there, uh, we have an obligation to because we were at war there for 20 years. And so we have an obligation to what's leaving, make sure that there's not famine and starvation. And those who fought by us or who uh, we had promised freedom, we have an ob a special obligation to them and their families. That doesn't mean that we also don't have obligations to those seeking asylum uh, or those who are uh, coming in and uh, have fleeing persecution. And we ought to be making sure we're following the asylum law. Anna in Tustin, California, you're on the air with Representative Connor. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Thank you, Congressman. My question for you is, I feel that as far as voting rights go, there isn't a whole lot of public hue and cry. There's not a lot of outrage and protesting going on in the general public. But if it were so, how much would it influence congressmen and the Senate, I mean, the ones who are holdouts and the Republicans, if they did see massive uprising, would that affect their vote? And also try to uh, call to action to the listeners. My point is that mostly the framing of voting rights as Jim Crow 2.0, while that is true, and the voting suppression laws are um, disproportionately affecting minority voters and, or, you know, for, the Republic, for their outcome to grab power, it affects all of us, and it's an existential question for democracy. If uh, voting suppression laws go through and the votes are um, stolen, and Republicans, you know, we're on the tip of an authoritarian and fascist um, a destruction of our democracy. So my question is, we need to reframe it as it's not just a minority issue. It's everybody's issue. It's, it really comes down to a single issue um, election in uh, um, November. Got it's, it. it's about Got democracy. It. Anna, let's, let's, let's get an answer here. Thank you. 
And I think you're absolutely right that it's about every American, that we all have a stake in uh, living in a democratic society and measures that disenfranchise certain populations uh, are an insult and uh, a slap in the face of the entire body politic. So uh, we should be talking about all of our rights uh, being violated when it comes to the suppression of the vote. Yeah, and when you look at some of the purge patterns in some of the states, you find that they're not just going after black areas, they're going after uh, areas with large white populations that happen to vote heavily Democratic. So it, this is right across the board. Congressman Ro Khanna, we'll be right back. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Rep Ro Khanna on Twitter and Khanna, K-H-A-N-N-A dot house dot gov on the Internet. We'll be right back. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Randy in Ottawa, Iowa, you are on the air with Representative Kana. Hi, Congressman Kana. Um... There's been a a reoccurring theme coming through today's program of Tom's program, and that is that um, government deregulation of markets and government deregulation of things like even video games have an effect on society. And right now we're looking at this new frontier frontier of um, privatization of uh, space. And I see that there has been talk about shooting a private a company shooting at asteroids, and now there's a SpaceX has a piece of space junk that's going to crash into the moon. I'm wondering, um, isn't it time to get ahead of this and not let things get out of hand? Um, I know there's only so much you can do, and your plate is full, and I'm just looking to the future of everyone in this whole world um, as if we're not in enough trouble already. So, uh, thank you, and have a, have a great day. Thank you, Rand. Well, thank you for raising all of those issues. I mean, I'm completely opposed to the privatization of space. I think these are places that need to be regulated. Uh, we need to be regulating the advanced technologies. And uh, if we don't, then our values, our liberties, our uh, autonomy will be threatened. So I agree with your approach that the regulation has to be side-by-side side with the technology development. Anna in Tustin, California, you're on the air with Representative Connor. Hello. Hi. Hi. I'm sorry. This is part two. Um, I just wanted to do a call of action to your listeners. Uh, This is um, to jump on what the lady from Texas said about the poll watchers. What I have noticed is that Steve Bannon is putting out a call to all his listeners to run for local seats. Um, All the little minor seats that nobody pays attention to, that they have some responsibility for how the votes are counted and how the elections are run. And Republicans are running for those seats unopposed. Some of those people were in the Capitol building, smashing windows and rifling through offices and and uh, being up cops. Some of those people are running for seats that are counting the votes. So, um, again, they have a great, vast organization. They're getting people out there being poll watchers, uh, working the elections, and they're also getting elected. And so we need to step up. And um, if the congressman could... Um, 
speak on that, that would be great. Oh, also, there's an organization called Run for Something, and um, we all need to step up. They're running unopposed. Thank you, Anna. Well, thank you for pointing this out. I mean, this has been the conservative strategy from Newt Gingrich now on to Steve Bannon, that we focus on the presidency, we focus on Congress and Senate, they focus on the local city council member, the county of uh, records clerk, the commissioners, the state legislatures, because power is so local. And one, you have to show up. Two, it doesn't take a lot to win one of these elections. And three, you'll have quite a lot of influence, especially in, in concert with everyone else who does it. And so the Republicans have been very deliberate about that, and we ought to be deliberate. Yeah, this, this uh, Operation Eagle Eye actually started with the Barry Goldwater campaign. William Rehnquist used to stand outside polling places in Arizona and threaten Hispanics and Native Americans. <laughs> they have been doing this for a long, long time. And now they, they say they're trying to recruit, you know, 100 or 50,000 people was the last number I heard. In states where the, you can be armed, bring your open carry to follow people around the polls looking for voter fraud. It's, it's a, a major intimidation campaign. Anyhow, con wow. Congressman, thanks so much for being with us today. Really appreciate the great work you are doing there in the House of Representatives and with the Congressional Progressive Caucus. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tom. Always a pleasure and great listener. Thank you. Great talking with you. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Today's book in our book club is The Hidden History of the War on Voting, Who Stole Your Vote and How to Get It Back by this guy, Tom Harbin. Uh, this is from chapter one, or from the introduction, actually. In 2016, 6% of Americans who were eligible to vote nominated Donald Trump as the GOP's presidential candidate. It was 8% for Hillary Clinton on the Democratic side. Trump went on to be elected president by 26% of eligible voters. The modern American oligarchs have largely stayed in power using three simple elements. Explicit overt racism, massive disinformation campaigns, and voter suppression. No ideas, no push for better schools, hospitals, airports, roads, or bridges, or reform of our health, energy, or financial systems. No promise of more and better jobs. None of these staples of past presidential campaigns can be found in pretty much any Republican advertising today. Instead, the public Republican message is all about race, or the subset of race, religion. Muslim stands in for brown Arab in GOP speak, and immigration, a.k.a. brown people from south of our border, and socialism. Meanwhile, Republican secretaries of state across the nation are vigorously purging voters from the rolls. Over 17 million, more than 10% of America's active voters, in just the 2016-2018 period, according to NBC News. After the five Republican appointees on the U.S. Supreme Court gutted the Voting Rights Act in 2013, 14 GOP-controlled states moved within a year some within days, to restrict access to the vote, particularly for communities of color, students, and retired people. In North Carolina, for example, 158 polling places were permanently closed in the 40 counties with the most African-American voters just before the 2016 election, leading to a 16% decline in African-American early voting in that state. An MIT study found that nationwide, Hispanic voters wait 150% longer in line than white voters, and black voters can expect to wait 200% longer in line to vote. In Indiana, then-Governor Mike Pence's new rigorous voter ID law caused an 11.5% drop in African-American voting. 
Students are suing for their right to vote, and retired people who no longer drive but care passionately about their Social Security and Medicare are being turned away at the polls by the hundreds of thousands because their driver's licenses have expired. The obvious failure of 40-plus years of Reaganomics and GOP policies to maintain a functional middle class in America has been a problem for the modern GOP. In 1974, for example, the GOP had outright control of only seven states. The message, elect us and we'll help the rich people, just didn't generally resonate with American voters. It's the reason why, outside of the fluke elections of 46 and 52, Democrats controlled the House of Representatives outright for three generations, from 1933 to 1996, and controlled the Senate for most of that time. Desperate to win the presidency for the GOP in 1968, Richard Nixon went so far as to commit treason by torpedoing a peace deal with President Lyndon Johnson that President Lyndon Johnson had worked out with the North and South Vietnamese. According to Abul Hassan Bani Sadr, then president of Iran, Ronald Reagan did the same thing by cutting a deal with Iran whereby they would hold on to the U.S. Embassy hostages until after the 1980 presidential election, torpedoing Jimmy Carter's chances of re-election. But in 2000, the GOP changed tactics. After Reagan was almost busted for his part in Iran-Contra, he testified that he had forgotten about details of the program more than 80 times his growing Alzheimer's spared him an indictment. They realized that getting busted for treason wasn't worth the risk. They needed a plan B. And it was deliciously simple. If most voters don't like what you're selling, then just don't let them vote. Paul Weyrick promoted this idea back in 1980 when he was campaigning for Reagan after co-founding the Heritage Foundation. And indeed, many Republican luminaries, such as William Rehnquist, who went from serving the GOP by standing in polling places and intimidating Hispanic and Native American voters in the 1960s to becoming Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, rose up through the ranks by participating in Republican-run voter intimidation schemes. Voter suppression became the foundational go-to tactic for the GOP in 2000. Although the GOP attacked Democratic presidential nominee Al Gore with smear and innuendo, ridiculing him for helping write the legislation that created the modern Internet, for example. The main thing that got George W. Bush into the White House was voter suppression. His brother, Florida Governor Jeb Bush, and Bush's Secretary of State, Catherine Harris, threw somewhere between 20,000 and 90,000 African-American voters off the rolls. They were able to get the vote close enough that five Republican appointees to the Supreme Court functionally awarded Bush the presidency. The BBC covered this in 2001 in two major investigative reports that were seen all over the world, except on any American media. By 2016, the Republican Party had fine-tuned its voter suppression and intimidation systems to the point that they ran like well-oiled machines in nearly 30 states. Between the 2012 and 2016 presidential elections, for example, Ohio had purged more than 2 million voters from its rolls, the vast majority, more than 2 to 1, in heavily African-American and Hispanic counties. The five Republican appointees on the Supreme Court ruled in 2017 that they could keep it up. And other states have since adopted their new tactic of caging voters. The book, The Hidden History of the War on Voting, by me. And welcome back. Okay, crazy alert. The headline over at the BBC, robot vacuum cleaner escapes from Cambridge Travel Lodge. Yes, a robot vacuum cleaner made a break for freedom, writes the BBC, after giving the staff the slip 
At a Travel Lodge hotel, the automated cleaner failed to stop at the front door of the hotel in Orchard Park in Cambridge, Cambridge on Thursday and was still on the loose the following day. Staff said it just kept going. It could be anywhere. They posted on, on social media. Please help us find our vacuum cleaner. They noted it has no natural predators. Uh, yeah, they, it was eventually found uh, uh, under a hedge. Jessica, it's Mrs. Rabbit to you on Twitter, just posted this with the note. I'm just saying criminal indictments by administrations. Barack Obama, and just tell me if you notice a trend here. Democrat Barack Obama, zero. Uh, Republican Jerry Ford, one. Uh, Democrat J Jimmy Carter, one. Uh, Republican George H.W. Bush, one. Democrat Bill Clinton, two. Republican George W. Bush, 16. Republican Ronald Reagan, 26. Republican Richard Nixon, 76. Republican Donald Trump, 215. Really? What does it take to figure this stuff out? Okay, let's pick up your phone calls. Marie in Atlanta, Georgia. Hey, Marie, what's on your mind today? Thanks for taking my call, Tom. <laughs> From the great state of voter suppression of Georgia, yeah. I did want to give people a heads up on this. One of the things that is likely to happen in states where you have a voter ID requirement um, is that there are going to be attempts to either take your voter ID away or to somehow make it unavailable to you. <clears throat> and here's one way that that will happen, I suspect. For example, I live in a county where the, where the sheriff, a constitutional officer, very difficult to remove or fire, is an elected Republican. I noticed recently that several speed limit signs were going up around the county. And it's not that, you know, there aren't good reasons to put up speed limit signs, but I mean, some of them were really odd. On a very, very steep hill, there was a sign that was put up that said 30 miles an hour, and you'd have to ride your brake pedal the whole way down that hill. So they set up speed traps. And you exactly. think they're, they're doing that so that they can, they can pull your driver's license so you can't vote? Ding, ding, ding. Aren't yeah. you the smart one? Yeah. So I'm suggesting that everybody, starting now, because there is no time like the present, look at the list of um, eligible forms of voter ID and have two of them ready. Yeah. Have it now so you know exactly and take both of them with you to the polls in the event there's any challenge to your license or should something happen and you end up having your license taken from you, however, temporarily pending resolution of a, an alleged DUI or an alleged moving violation or something like that. Mm -hmm. You've already got in possession the means to vote because yeah. the most common form is a driver's license. Oh, it's 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 way. amazing. When Louise and I moved to Washington, D.C., I still had a Georgia driver's license. And but I but I registered it, you know, online in Washington, D.C. I went down to vote my first vote and they were like, your Georgia's driver's license doesn't prove your citizenship. Uh, you need to come back with. Uh, no, the first time they were like, it, it doesn't prove, you know, residence, even though you're registered. So you have to bring back residence. So I so I went home, got the bill, you know, a utility bill came back and then they were like, OK, this is this is good. But now your Georgia driver's license doesn't prove that you're a citizen. So we see we have to see that. So I had to go home and get my birth certificate and bring it back. This is just to, to vote. Right. <laughs> it's just crazy. Exactly. And that's because, you know, the District of Columbia is was those laws were set up by Republicans because Congress establishes the laws for D.C. Marie, uh, spot on. Thank you very much for the heads up and for the for the call. Carry everything with you. Bring your bring your driver's license. Bring your Social Security card. Bring your passport if you've got it. Bring your birth certificate. They're going to make it as hard as possible to vote in this election this November in states all across the United States. And do not be intimidated when you see the Proud Boys operating as election monitors. 
We'll see you on Monday. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 